morning to everyone again. If you have your Bible, please turn it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 15 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. I can't be a blessing to other, others if I'm poor, broke, depressed, and don't feel good about myself, says one celebrity pastor. Now my question is, is that statement biblically true? Is it true? No, I don't think it's true. For the believer who believes that statement, that believer underestimates the work of God's grace and what that his grace can do in our life despite our circumstances. You see, God's grace through the work of the Spirit, it, it, it can change the most stingiest heart. And it can work wonders in us, even in the midst of the hardest times of life. Both of those happen only through the work of the Spirit. Last week, we, we saw how this amazing grace worked in the lives of the churches of Macedonia. If you remember, the text says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their rock-bottom poverty overflow into a wealth of generosity on their part. Their, spiritually real, their spiritual reality shaped and gave perspective to their physical reality. And one of the results of that in their life was stewardship. Stewardship as an act of grace. Keep in mind, Paul is using these Macedonians as a real-life example to us and to the Corinthians of how the Spirit of God uses God's grace to work stewardship in our hearts, in our life. Today we're going to see Paul speak directly to the Corinthians, showing them that the grace of stewardship not only benefits others, but it's going to benefit them as well. And the same is true for us this morning. It benefits us. So if you have your Bible... 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 8. Here's God's word. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Hey, Doug, can you mute, mute these other mics? Um, they are? But I guess it's just me. Okay. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that in your readiness and desire it may be matched by completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is susceptible according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. I do not mean that others should be easing you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should sure supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, for whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and who gathered little had no lack. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father God, as we turn to your truth, 
We cry out to your spirit again that he will come and minister to us. Minister to our hearts. Not just to our minds, but also to our hearts. That you know what we're dealing with. You know what we're struggling with. You know what we have lost. You know what we fear. You know what we're trying to hide. You know how we're trying to pretend. You see the real us. You see behind the mask. And that's what we need you to minister today. Behind the mask. Undo us. For our good. So Holy Spirit. We call upon you to move. In Christ's name. Amen. The grace of stewardship benefits the giver. Not just the recipient of the giving. This is the, the main point that. Paul is going to communicate to us and to the Corinthians today. And the first benefit is the benefit of Christ. That's what he points to in verse 9 when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The benefit of Christ is the fact that these believers and us this morning are recipients of Jesus' stewardship. Don't you know that? You are a recipient of Jesus' stewardship. He points us to Christ because he wants us to know what Jesus has done for you should motivate you to stewardship. What he's done for you. What is the giving and the stewardship of grace of Christ? Paul explains, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Let those words pierce your heart this morning. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. See, we often romanticize the gospel so much that we fail to grasp a verse like this and what it's communicating to us. This phrase, though he was rich, is referring to Christ's life before the incarnation, before Christmas. He says before Christmas he was rich. See, Jesus existed in eternity long before he came to earth. He's eternal. He was the son of God. And Jesus himself says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham, I am. What does that mean? Before Abraham was born, I existed. I've always existed. And we know the famous verse in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. That's talking about Christ and his preexistence. He has always been, and that was his wealth. That was his riches, his glory before the incarnation. He had it all. He needed nothing, and yet he became poor. He didn't become poor for his benefit. Because he, he was already taken care of. He was already fulfilled. He didn't become poor so you will like him. So you will be his buddy. He didn't become poor to earn favor. He didn't become poor to be accepted. He, became, he didn't become poor by force. He became poor for his own free will, for your benefit, for your sake. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago Roy preached a sermon about Christ being our resolution. From, from, from Philippians 2, 
And Philippians 2, that chapter tells us that, that Christ, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's his poverty. That's Jesus' poverty right there. The stewardship of Christ led to his poverty. That is the incarnation and that is the cross. That's what he gave up. That's his poorness. He left the riches of heaven and came to a broken, sinful world, died and suffered for your sake and my sake. So we have to take the heart that Jesus is the only one who has friends in low places. The only one. You don't have friends in low places. Jesus is the only one who can say that. Not Garth Brooks, only Jesus. And guess what? We are the ones in the low places. We are the ones in the low place. He was in the high place, but he came low for you. Because if he didn't, there is no hope for you. The purpose of this poverty is so that you might become rich. Think about that. He became poor so that I might become rich. Now, rich in this context is not talking about you becoming financially rich and you're going to get all this money in your bank account. He's not talking about that. So, got to look at scripture in context. He's talking about something much better. He's talking about your spiritual reality, which at one time was bankrupt with insufficient funds. But through saving faith in Christ, your spiritually bankruptcy has been taken care of. He has given it new life through his stewardship. He gave his life for your life. He bore God's wrath so you don't have to. He purchased eternal life for you so you don't have to waste your time trying to do it. He reconciled you to God because you couldn't. He made you right and righteous before God so you don't have to beat yourself up trying to do so. Believers are spiritually wealthy in Christ. That is your riches. That is your wealth. You are actually trust fund kids, benefiting from what Christ did for you. And that's all you're ever going to be, is a trust fund kid. And in the eyes of God, that's a very good thing, because without it, you can't get in. Without his funds. They're never our funds. It's his funds. That is the benefit that we gain from the stewardship of Christ. And his stewardship should motivate yours. It should compel you to because of what he did for you. This is what Paul wants us and the Corinthians to embrace and to believe. Churches have a lot of different methods they use to promote stewardship among their members. In historical black churches, you, you may have several different offer, offerings throughout the service, like a love offering or benevolence offering and a tithe offering. In mainline and evangelical churches, you may have a pledge card offering or a faith promise offering. Now, I recently saw a picture on Facebook of a non-traditional method a church used to promote stewardship among its members. The pastor created a non-tithers board, put it in the foyer of the church, and if you didn't tithe to the church, then you know where your name went. So the, there was a list of members on this board called the non-tithers board. That's funny, 
unless your name's on the board and it's no longer funny. <laughs> and it's no longer funny if your name is up there. You see, shame and guilt are not healthy ways to promote stewardship. It ain't a, it's not a healthy way to promote anything in people. The best approach is what Paul does here. He points us into these Corinthians to the stewardship of Christ. Because if that doesn't motivate you to stewardship, nothing I say ever will. Think about that. If what Jesus has done for us does not motivate us to that, I ain't got nothing else for you. Nothing at all. If Christ is not enough. The stewardship of Christ should compel and motivate and promote our stewardship. It's an overflow to the work of God's grace in your life. We do benefit for what Christ has done for us. The second benefit that Paul's talking about is the benefit of honoring one's commitment. The benefit of honoring one's commitment. Look at verse 10. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do the work, but also desired to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, there's this perceptible according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The Corinthians made a commitment to give to the poor Christians back in Jerusalem. This is what they're collecting the offering for. The church in Jerusalem is suffering. And so they're collecting the offering for their relief. And they made this commitment a, a year ago. But for some reason, Paul feels a need to remind them about their commitment. And in verse 10, he gives his, his personal opinion. A year ago, you started to do the work. And not only did you start to do it, but you desired to do it. And desire here was they had a heartfelt desire to participate in the relief for the saints. It was not forced on them. They wanted to do it. They voluntarily made the promise to give. And now Paul says, finish doing it as well. He tells them to honor the commitment. Don't renege on it. Honor your commitment. And here's the thing. Good intentions mean nothing if not followed by action. We all can have good intentions. But are they followed by good action? Are they followed? Or just, is there follow through? Paul wants them to follow through on their good intentions to give. The desire is willing and ready. But what about their actions? He wants their readiness and planning to flow into actions. In verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command. No, he's not commanding them to do anything here. He's not commanding them to own their commitment. He's not lording it over them. He's not shaming them about it or going to get them to give. Instead, he says, I say this to prove by the earnest of others that your love also is genuine. See, he's using the, the earnest of the Macedonians as an example to the Corinthians of giving. Because remember the Macedonians, they were in rock-bottom poverty themselves. They were also poor, but yet their hearts were for their poor brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem, who was filled with a lot of Jews. But they loved them because they were in Christ too. So they saw outside of their circumstances to help a fellow brother and sister in Christ. And Paul uses them as an example of what God's grace can do in you, even in the midst of hardship. So he's not saying, he's not using the Macedonians as a means or a source or a motivation for the Corinthians, but only as an example of what God's grace can do. So he wants them to honor their commitment. 
The benefit for the Corinthians is that their love will prove to be genuine by them honoring their commitment to give. That's the benefit. Their love will be shown to be more than just in words. You see, love that is proven genuine is a love that moves just beyond kind words or good intentions. There's follow-through of action. That's love proven genuine when it leads to actions. When you grow closer to the heart of Christ, you will begin to love and care about the things that he loves and cares about. And one of the things he loves is his church. He loves his church. And when a person becomes a believer, that individual should seek to join the membership of a local church for their spiritual well-being. The believer, you don't join the local church as a consumer. You know, like we are consumers as Americans, and every time we show up, we think people should cater to us. But we join as servants of the local body of Christ. Servants who desire to support the church and her work in worship. And, and please understand, we all have to understand this, that when we join a church, you have, you, are, you have made a commitment to that church, wherever you hold membership, to support that church in your work in worship, in her work in worship. You do that with your time, with your talents, and with your treasures. Now, you need to seek the Spirit's guidance and wisdom in what that means for you and your family. And I encourage you to do that. What does that mean? What does this mean for me and my family when it comes to my commitment to the church in which I hold membership? What does it mean? I have a pastor friend who, who used to be part of a church whose focus on giving was like stewardship on steroids. And the members were basically sowing all these financial seeds in hopes that one day they were going to reap all these financial blessings. Now, he shared this with me a few weeks ago. He told me that he gave his rent money, his light bill money, his food money. He gave it all to the church. The kids didn't have food to eat, but you know what? He was giving to the church. And he was telling me, I did this, brother, because I thought one day I was going to wake up and I was going to have this huge financial blessing. I was going to get out of the hole I was in. That's, that's stewardship lottery is what that is. And God has not called us to stewardship lottery. And sacrificial giving does not mean I give foolishly. Any, any course of stewardship means you give wisely out of what you have, out of what God has given you. The Corinthians are called to honor their commitment by giving out of what they have, not out of what they don't have. And this is what Paul uh, elaborates on in verse 12. Well, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. You see, the amount of your giving does not make it more or less acceptable. It doesn't. It's the heart behind the stewardship. It's the heart behind it. So he doesn't pressure them in giving. They are to simply give out of what they have. The question for all of us, are we willing to give out of what we have? And again, stewardship is not about your income level. God calls us all to give out of what we have, not out of what we don't have. What do you have? Between you and the Lord, what do you have? There are many topics and issues in the world of politics 
that caused much heated debate. And there is one that caused a lot of this discussion. It's called redistribution of wealth. And that means you transfer income and wealth and property from one group of people and give it to other people. Now, is that what Paul asked in the Corinthians to do? Is Christian stewardship the redistribution of wealth? I give to those who have less than me to make us all on the same level. No. Christian stewardship is you seeking to be a blessing to others. That's what it is. That's one of the things that it is. You don't have to be wealthy to be a blessing to others. And being a blessing to others is the third benefit of the giver who gives, who participates in stewardship. And we see this in verse 13. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but there is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that they may be fairness. What is Paul talking about here? What does he mean by there may be fairness? He's telling these Corinthians, I don't want you to give unwisely. I want you to have wisdom when you give. I don't want you to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem and cause more distress on yourself. I'm not asking you to do that. I don't want, I'm not asking you to cause more financial trouble for yourself. But he says, in the matter of fairness, is talking about the Corinthians coming alongside of their fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord who are in need of assistance. That's what he's asking them to do. It's not a redistribution of wealth. It's them loving their brothers and sisters who are in need of their help. He's telling them, you have been blessed by the Lord, and now you should be a blessing to others. That's what he's telling them. You have been blessed at the present time. Present time. Now your blessing should lead you to be a blessing to others. Bless your brothers and sisters because they are in need. This is them loving their neighbor as themselves. The benefit of, of, of the benefit of blessing others is what Paul says next. He says, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. Here's the thing. None of us are so high up that you can't lose everything you got. Please know that. You ain't so high up on the financial hall that one day you be in the gutter. You ain't. We all just a couple of paychecks away. All of us are. Are having nothing. And Paul's encouragement to the Corinthians is, you do this because one day you're going to need them and they'll do the same for you. Then there will be fairness. The church takes care of her own. That's one of the things he's saying here. You should care for one another. Not just in words, but even when we're in need. We support one another. We encourage one another. So if you're blessed with abundance, then be a blessing. Spurgeon says, this is the law of the kingdom. If God prospers you, help another who has not been prospered at the time. Then one of these days you may also need their help in return. That's the point he's saying. That you may need their help in return. What is your motivation for giving or for not giving? We won't ever become givers. You won't ever become a giver when you earn more money. You have to learn to be a giver where you are. Where you are, the financial situation you're in. 
the benefits of stewardship for the givers is not you, you out giving other people. It's not so you can get your name on the top givers list and be the bronze giver, the gold giver. It's not so you get to, get to say more, get, not so you can have more of a say in what goes on in the church. And I tell you, I don't care what you give, you don't have more power. So I'll go ahead and let you know that now. So it's not going to happen. It's not so you can sow, not so you can sow financial seeds and get future blessings. Financial stewardship benefits the giver when the giver gives for the right reasons. The right reasons. And in this context, it means three things. The stewardship of Christ compels me. I do it to honor my commitment to the church in which I belong to. And I do it to be a blessing to others. Those three things. In this particular context, it means other different things. But in our context, it means these three things. Let your love prove to be genuine, not just in words and desires and good intentions, but also in our actions. In Exodus 16, many of you may be familiar with Exodus 16, the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, which they did a lot in, in the wilderness. And, and, and in Exodus 16, they, they tell Moses and Aaron, would we have died by the hands of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by meat pots we ate bread till we was full. For you brought us out in this wilderness to kill us. Think about this. Now these are people who were in slavery now. Wanting to go back to slavery. Just because they had meat and bread to eat. They complained against Moses. Then the Lord told Moses, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven for my grumbling people. And then, most of you know this was called manna. And the people gathered as much as they could. And whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little, little had no light, lack. And what is the point? The point is that it doesn't matter how much you have financially. God is the one that's in control of our life and where we are in life. He's the one providing it, everything that we need. So we can hoard all you want. We can complain all we want. We got to know whose hand is providing my bread. Who's really the bread bringer in my home? Who brings home the bacon in my house when it comes down to it? Is it me or is it the God that has blessed me? See, as Americans, we, 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 we live in a capitalist society, and we love it. I love living here. But it can detain our view of who's really in control of our life and who's really blessing us. Because if God takes things away, you have nothing. Everything we have. The jobs that we have, the clothes that we have, God has given those things to us. It doesn't matter where you are or what you have. You are cared for by God. And he'll provide for you. So this quote by this celebrity pastor that says, I can't be a blessing to poor, poor people if I'm poor is a lie. You can be a blessing to people no matter where you are in life as a believer. No matter what you're going through, God can use you to bless others. But do we believe it? The grace of stewardship benefits you regardless of your life situation, regardless of what you're dealing with, or regardless of how much money you got. The benefit of Christ, by his poverty, you have been made wealthy. But is that enough? If you don't think it's enough, then that's between you and Jesus. 
You need to go do business with him. The benefit of honoring your commitment proves that your love is genuine. The benefit of being a blessing to others. We bless others because one day you too will be in need and they can bless you that there may be family. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for what Jesus has done for us. For the life that he lived, the death that he died in our place. And I pray, Father, that your spirit, Lord, will, even in my own heart, give me more grace and stewardship in giving. I don't give as I should. I'm stingy. My grandmother told me that over Christmas. You stingy, Alex. And she knows me. So help me not to be stingy, Father. Help me to be a giver more than I am. And so I preach these words to my heart. Not anyone else's heart. I'm messed up too, so I need it. I need it, Lord. And I can't get that if his spirit don't woo me there. That he don't plead. I pray that he'll work grace in my heart and every heart that's here. And I pray as we go out this week and as we go out in our families that your, your spirit watch over us in all that we do this week. And I thank you so much, Jesus, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.